0: Hello, my name is Diggins. I'm an alcoholic, and I am an agnostic. Can everybody hear me? Okay, excellent. I have a bit of a cough, so I apologize. Um, I'm sure that's the devil trying to get out. Uh, it's. Uh, I hear most of us agnostics are probably in bed with the devil of some kind. Um, so I'll start. I, you know, I have a funny story because I... I sort of have the opposite experience that's in the book. You know, I started out and I believed in a supernatural higher power and then I became an agnostic in these rooms, which is not usually how it happens. Um, <clears throat> but I'll start off by just saying, you know, I'm an alcoholic and uh, the reason I know that is because when I drank, I would drink too much according to society and not enough according to me. Uh, <clears throat> and that became a problem, um, particularly with the law. And, uh, I, you know, and it also, you know, when you're living day to day and the only thing you can manage to think about is how you want to kill yourself, that's probably not a recipe for success. So I came to AA because I wanted a place where I could go for an hour and not think about killing myself. That was really what I was after. Um, the not drinking thing seemed like an interesting idea, uh, you know. I, and I, what I figured was, you know, I was not—I was never in this for the long haul. You know, you guys were lifers, and you needed it. You know, I don't know what was wrong with your life, but that was not my situation. Um, I was going to figure out how you guys stayed sober, and I was going to do half of that so that I could control my drinking. Um, <clears throat> so after a year and a half of of miserable sobriety, um, I found a sponsor, and you know, a, a sponsor who actually returned my calls uh, and actually would work the steps with me. Um I'd I'd worked the steps before, but again, you know, I was convinced this was just like a cult and a religion. And, uh, so the steps were just like, you know, you go to like a church or a temple and there's the rituals you do. And I thought, yeah, the steps are the ritual things. We all like, Oh yeah, I'm on this step and I'm on that step. And you don't really honestly do those things. Uh, you know, you just sort of tell people you're doing them. And that's how I did them the first time. You know, it's like anything that was like really painful and ego leveling and pride level. Like, we're not going to leave that off there, you know, but the, the easy ones, it's like, yeah, let's put those on there. And uh, that's how I did my first inventory. And, you know, the amends, it's like people that, you know, it would take nothing for me to make amends to. It's like, sure, I'll make amends to them, you know. And then the people that would, you know, like my parents, like, I'm not, no, no. Um, so that's how that worked. Um, so at a year and a half, I started working the steps again uh, in earnest. And, you know, the wonderful thing was that we have this program that teaches you how to be a better person and which is not what I was after really um because that was my business not your business you know you just stick tell me about the drinking everything else that i'm doing with my life is sort of my my problem and uh but i but it was fantastic and so i started learning you know these steps and step 6 and 7 were these amazing parts where it's like oh i get to figure out what's wrong with me and then I can work on changing those parts, you know. And I was really convinced that this was working. Um, a lot of my early defects were pretty easy to get rid of, uh, like shoplifting was one of them. <laughs> so here's the secret. If I walk into a grocery store and I don't stick Pop-Tarts down the back of my pants and walk out without paying, I have beaten that defect of character, <laughs> you know. I am no longer a shoplifter, and... You know, glory unto the highest. Um, <clears throat> so those kinds of defects were easy, but I had some more glaring defects, and one of them was my mom, which I... Now, bear with me, because I know very few people in AA have this experience, but I couldn't get along with my mom. Um, and so you substitute whatever resentment you have for that, if you need to relate. Um, and I had a sponsor named Howard... Uh, uh, who may or may not be here, who told me, you know, if you don't learn to get along with your mom, you may not stay sober. And I said, okay. And so I tried, and this was a defect that I worked on a lot. But I, I'll i admit it, I'm, you know, I'm not a great person, and at the time I would really, like, yell at my mom. You know, and my resentments toward her, they were preloaded, you know. So I'd go, I would visit with her, and it's like I've got the checklist of things I know she's going to do. And then, you know, as soon as she does them, it's like, all right, game on, you know, it's just like, you know, and so I moved to California and I had four years sober and I worked with my sponsor there. And again, every house visit, it's like, I'd yell with my mom and I'd, you know, I'd feel terrible, you know, that, that emotional, like, uh, you know, that, that uh, the emotional hangover of that, I would feel terrible and I would still do it. And I, uh, and I remember I was eight years sober and we went to Yellowstone as a family trip, and uh, and I yelled at my mom again, she was driving me nuts. And this time I got really mad. I got really mad at this program, you know, because this program said if I pray, you know, for these defects to really be removed, they're gonna be removed, and uh, and it wasn't happening. And then I had this moment of clarity that said, if you wanna stop yelling at your mom, you're gonna have to stop yelling at your mom. <laughs> Yeah. And so what I realized was when I was praying to the supernatural higher power uh, for this defect to be removed, what I was saying is, I'm not going to do anything about this. But if I wake up tomorrow and some supernatural force has made me not yell at my mom, I'll take that as a win. You know, <laughs> like, and that's how I live my life. It's like I had all these defects and I was willing to pray to something supernatural to fix me. And that would be great, you know. Uh, but that's not how it worked in my experience. And I looked at the 12 and 12 and, you know, even Bill, when he went back to 6 and 7, said, well, you know, God doesn't render us white as snow without our cooperation. And so I said, well, what does that mean? And so, so this really kind of made me start to question whether I believed in a supernatural higher power or not. Uh, and then I started to feel like a fraud. Because I was going to meetings and they tell us, you know, you have to have a God. It's a higher power of your understanding, but, most people, they're talking about something supernatural, um, and I didn't feel like I belonged in these rooms. But the funny thing is, there's a like a million of us that all feel like we don't belong because we think the same way, you know, that we're not really sure about a supernatural higher power. But I thought, okay, does this program? Can this program work? As a, uh, sure, I'm trying to look at my time here. I'm oh, good. I'm good. All right, there's a lot more of me. Hang in there. Um, <clears throat> So I thought, okay, let's put this to the test. What could be a a form of a higher power that I would would work? And, you know, again, it's not to say that it isn't a supernatural. Maybe there is. Maybe I'm just too dumb to understand it. I'll give you that. I need something simple, you know. So it's like, okay, what's a simpler version? I've heard people say things like, well, you know, a doorknob can be your higher power, you know. When I was in high school, my dad and I were changing the doorknob in my bedroom. And the size wasn't right, and I got locked in the bedroom. And it did not take much for me to take a screwdriver and dismantle that doorknob. So I went to battle with the doorknob, and I won. That is not a higher power for me. Uh, Thank you. I have defeated the god of the doorknob. Uh, And so I thought, okay, so what else is there? And so now I hear people talk about, like, well, there's a group of drunks as my god, you know. This program is my God. And I said, okay, but does that work? Like, I mean, if you read through the steps, can you really substitute this program everywhere it says God or higher power? And so I started thinking about that. And the interesting thing was, the more I thought about it, the more the program actually made sense to me. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Because before I had what I will call the uh, the metaphysical buffer, where there was this whole metaphysical layer of uncertainty. And I love to hang out in that, you know? It's like, am I willing to change something? Yeah, I'm willing, and I'm praying and the vibes, I want, I want to touch the vibes to make me change. And, you know, and it's all this stuff. And then when I'm not changing, it's like, well, maybe I need to pray to be willing to be willing to be willing. <laughs> and, you know, and maybe that's what it is. That's, that's like, you know, slowing me down. And, and, and then, and it's like, and I was like, okay, so now let's substitute willingness. Let's say, okay, now this program is my God. This program is my higher power. All of a sudden, everything kind of collapses. In a scary way, too, uh, because I'll explain here. This is a program of action, right? So then when I go, okay, I have this defect of character. Am I willing to change? I'm basically saying, am I now making a commitment to take action? No. <laughs> not, not really. Uh, you know, and that's... And, you know, but that's the lovingness of this program. Is that I can be honest and say, oh, okay, here's a defect of character. I hate it, but I'm not at that point where I'm going to take a different action. Which, to me, gives me way more hope than feeling that hopelessness of saying, I've been praying forever and it doesn't change. Why doesn't I? Why don't I change? And now I can go, all right, I think I'm miserable enough today that I'm going to do something different. You know? Um and, and so that kind of like loss of that metaphysical uncertainty, uh, made my program way more grounded, you know? And so now in the last, you know, five years, so I'm 13 years sober, uh, and, uh, it's been, it's been incredible because anytime I have a question about how I'm supposed to live, I'm not a perfect person. I'm only up to 98%. Um <laughs> <clears throat> but anytime I'm on that 2% of horribleness, uh, if I want, the answers are much clearer. You know, if I want, the answers are much clearer, you know. So I'm at work, you know, I work with, you know, somebody who's an idiot. And, uh, it's my job as the one who, with such a high IQ. I do have a high IQ. I don't know if I'd mention that. Um, I was never tested. Because, when you're this smart, you don't need the test. Yeah, it's just yeah. uh, because I'm either going to find out I'm right or I'm going to find out I'm wrong, and I definitely don't want to know I'm wrong. Um, you know, but as that person, you know, who's got all the right answers, you know, at work, you know, if there's a guy I don't like and I think God, I got to point out to people what you know, this guy's an idiot. You know, it's my job to do these things right. Before I could really like convince myself that this is the right thing to do, you know, and then when I calm down and I ask my higher power, which is this program, what should I do? It becomes pretty obvious that I'm talking about character assassination. You know, it's like, is it my job? Am I the boss? No. So is it right for me to go around talking about somebody behind their back at work? No. Then I guess I'm not going to do that. Okay. And half the times I won't. So, you know. Because this is a program of progress, not perfection. And I'm uh, worried about becoming perfect too fast because I don't, <laughs> i got to leave myself room to grow, you know. Um, so as a part of being a, an agnostic in this room, you know, I, I found it interesting because I, I meet people that come into these rooms more and more these days who say, you know, I don't, I don't believe in the God thing and I have a real problem with that. And uh, and it's been wonderful for me to go up to people and say, hey, you know, you belong here. Trust me, it's not, you know, just like I thought it was a, I was pretty sure it was a cult when I came in, but I was desperate enough to stay anyway. Uh, you don't have to be that way. You know, you can come in and know, like, look, it really is a God of your understanding. It works. It works whether you believe in something supernatural. It works whether you believe in Jesus or Krishna or Buddha or the group. You know, It's, it's fascinating and, and, and there's, and it's in the program itself that says that this works, right? It says God could and would if he were sought, right? And so my pro, my, my idea of a higher power has always been changing because I've always been trying to seek and figure it out. You know, it never says that we find him, right? I'm always worried about the people that have found God, you know? (laughs) It's, it's the ones that are seeking that go, yeah, my idea is kind of like this and that. It's like, I love that. You know, I, I feel more comfortable with that. So, so that's how I uh, ended up here because I, uh, you know, I got sober, and and this program gave me something that I've always after, you know, which was a better life. You know, it's not what I wanted, but it was it was something that I I, I was glad to be given, you know. And uh, living this program as an agnostic person, it's a fantastic experience for me. It's a fantastic experience because I can connect with everybody. And no matter what their belief in a higher power is, because my program is like rooted in just the action of the steps, I can work with anybody. You know, I can work with anybody. And and that to me is when I began to realize like that is the spirituality of this program. This is a spiritual program. You know, it's not just the steps because I could take the book and sit in a corner and I'm not going to get sober. You know, and it's not just the rooms because I, I think we all know many people that come to meetings all the time, and it's like, oh my God, that guy's dry as hell. You know, it'd be, it'd be great if he worked the steps, or she. I don't say those things because I don't judge other people, but I'm sure you guys will do. Uh, you know, so. But it's these things together, right? It's these, it's all these things together. You know, I, I go to a meeting, you know, I pick a sponsor, I work the steps with him. You know, it's not me by myself deciding I know what I need to do, right? An agnostic person doesn't think he is God, right? I don't think that. I think it's me working with somebody else who can, who can kind of reflect on what I'm thinking and what I'm doing and give me guidance in the steps the way that he or she did the steps you know and i can do that to others it's all of us working together you know with this program is that to me is way more awesome and way more spiritual than anything i can imagine you know i mean we're here on the 80th anniversary of aa we're an organization of what 100 million drunk people <laughs> keeping it going that's amazing i could barely keep my own life going alone you know, and the idea that when a bunch of people with unmanageable lives can get together and we can form a successful organization, that, that's a very spiritual thing, you know. So, so that's my message to you today. Uh, I, I was really glad to see, um there's some posters up here I want to mention about WAFTI, I want to say. It's the We Agnostics and Atheists and Free Thinkers, uh, groups of AA. You know, like we're, we're growing, we're growing, uh, population of people and uh you know I feel like I don't have to feel ashamed about what my version of a higher power is when I'm in a meeting just like nobody else has to feel ashamed of what their version of a higher power is it works because we're together you know it works because each and every one of you here has the same problem I do which is a problem with drinking you know and each of us have the same solution which is this program and how cool is that thank you
1: Um, it's cool. This is a, a, a program where we need to find a power greater than ourselves. I don't think it's um, coincidence. Coincidence that the last thing in here was a, a seniors in sobriety conference. Um, and speaking of powers greater than ourselves, um, if anyone knows who might have left a couple pills of Viagra, <laughs> <clears throat> those are those are in here. So. Uh, I saw your hand back there, and you could, if you can identify those, <clears throat> make sure they're yours. Um, there's a sense of humor in here. And I think it's ironic that, uh, um, um, you know, we all feel alone and, and unique and stuff, and there's a room full of people here. And, and there was a room full of people last night that uh, something was going on in there. There was, a, there was an energy that was a power grid than myself, so I'm glad to be here. next, um, the aptly named Big Mike from Sayville, New York.
2: Thank you. Hope everybody's having a good time. I'm a drunk. I'm Mike Kelly, and I'm a drunk. And I share that. That's normally how I qualify at these meetings, and I don't say I'm an alcoholic. Because I'm not sure if I am. But I know I'm a drunk. And, and I still have a bit of in me, you know. And I love it when people come up to you and say, you shouldn't say that. And I said, well, how do you know what I should say? (laughs) A lot of people know what other people should be doing in this fellowship. (laughs) Most of the time, I'm not sure what I should be doing. (laughs) I'll tell you a little bit about my life. Uh, this is about agnosticism, but I, I, I grew up on Long Island. I knew from the time I was three I was going to be a pipe fitter, steam fitter in a union in New York. Never applied myself in school. Did well in sports. Had a blast. And uh, the first day on the job, I, I got, We they have a shanty where you change your clothes, and it was guys at 7 o'clock in the morning popping tins. And... Uh, I said, wow, these guys are sick. And it took me three months to be sick. (laughs) I was a natural drunk. I love beer. And a quick note, and this this hurts. I have a a, a son who's 40 years old who is in the process of opening up a microbrewery. And I can't taste the stuff. I mean, how wrong is that? That's just, but that's one of the burdens I have to carry. <laughs> uh, I didn't have a bad upbringing. I did go to Catholic school. Um didn't work out well. Some of the gentlemen here know uh, the school I went to and uh, I remember I was in fifth grade and I used to, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't choose to be an agnostic. But I would ask questions, and there was a priest there, and I won't mention his name. And uh, he used to get very frustrated with me to the point that he clocked me one day, you know, because of the questions I was asking. And, and, and I just didn't say anything anymore, and I became a, a, a closet uh, agnostic. You know, and when I did the altar boy stuff, you know, I, you know, I could do the shishipiatomium sacrificium, the tuis, adlatum, the glorium, the mini I could do all that stuff, I had no idea what it meant. <laughs> and, I don't know. I, uh, I ended up, I was 36 years old. And, uh, in the meantime, I, my, my lifestyle, I was, Believe it or not, I was a non-violence coordinator in some of the biggest clubs in, on Long Island in New York. You know, um, <laughs> I made it to the mountaintop of life—sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, there's nothing like standing there, and—and and it worked. <laughs> it worked. Oh. Uh, I have a great life, you know. Um, I'm all over the place in my life. I'm retired for after 46 years of in in that union. Uh, I have five grandchildren that I hang out with all of the time. I'm a degenerate dog shower, you know. I I've showed my dogs in Westminster Abbey, uh, Westminster Kennel Club, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 it's a it's a, it's an addiction just like drinking. You know, I, I, I ride a Harley. I, I had last summer, for some strange reason, it was the beginning of August, and I told my wife, I'm going away for a couple of days. She goes, where are you going? I said, uh, a place called Sturgis. <laughs> <laughs> so I jumped on my ride, and I rode out to Sturgis from Long Island by myself and had a blast, and then I went to go see my sister in southern Colorado, and I was done. 16 days, 1,500 miles, and uh, it was a blast. So I'm all over the place in my life. But I, I some of you people who are here, who I, I'm not here to convert anybody into agnosticism. I'm not a missionary for agnosticism. <laughs> if you got a god and it works for you, great. But please spare me the finger. You know the one. You better believe in God or you're going to get drunk. I heard it a hundred times if I heard it once. And luckily, I don't see most of those jerks anymore. You know? I don't know where they are, where they went, but uh, most of the people, the old timers helped me. You know, they they knew how damaged I was when I, I couldn't make sentences when I got here. And uh, they just said, just keep coming. Keep coming, let this thing happen. And, and, and in the beginning, you know, I, I, I got sober, uh, I'm from the class of 83. And, uh, and I spent my first 30 years in the same group. And uh, the closest I could do to any kind of a god, and some of you people were, was, was the Force from Star Wars. <laughs> because it made sense. Good, do good, get good. Do bad, pay the price. It boils down to karma for me. It boils down to right and wrong. But I learned things in AA. I love to have things for free. (laughs) I don't like it when I'm leaving the store and someone says, Did you pay for that? (laughs) Because then the evil mic shows up. And I'll do anything to justify. It's uh I'm a damaged unit. You know, uh, but the right guy, you know, I came in here as a a a heavy duty construction worker, a nonviolence coordinator. I was a tough guy, I am a tough guy, whatever. Uh I ride behind and I come at the AA and I'm desperate and I'm dying and confused and struggling, I get a year, and then I hear this guy he was a, uh, a delegate from Southeast New York. At the, I don't know. It was before he was a delegate, and this guy knew a lot of stuff about AA. So I, I, I hooked up with him. I asked him to be my sponsor. And here's the irony: he was probably five foot four, weighed 122 pounds, and was gay. <laughs> Not my cup of tea. Not somebody that I would have been even looking at before I got here, but that man really, really heightened my journey here in this fellowship because he told me the truth. You know, he told me things that every now and then I wanted to clock him. Um, I, I, I had missed his group for a couple of weeks, and I, I show up there and. And, uh, he says, you know what everybody was saying when you weren't here? You know, and I could ding, this thing starts going before I throw a punch. And it's going ding, ding. And I know what I'm gonna do and what I'm gonna, who I'm gonna get after the meeting. And, and like three seconds, it all runs through my head. And I said, no, no, what did they say that I wasn't here? He said, absolutely nothing. They didn't even know you weren't here. <laughs> <laughs> And then I wanted to nail him. <laughs> Linda, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, he would say stuff, you know, to, to, to get my attention. You know, he, uh, I, I'm coming in there and I'm expounding on, oh, people say I keep this real simple and how good I'm doing. And I'm telling him that. And, and he just looks and he rears back a little and he says, Mike, you must have a tremendous amount of humility. And I think finally I'm getting the recognition. <laughs> and then he says, because you haven't used any yet.
1: <laughs>
2: All timers have a way of putting you in your place. And they sure did it with me. And as much as, you know, there were a few people who, along this trip and journey, uh, I just, uh, I'm forever, forever indebted to them for having the courage to tell me the truth. I mean, it took me about eight months before I stopped bringing weapons to meetings, you know. And, <laughs> you know, uh, and I didn't need weapons, but, you know, you can never tell. And I didn't have like the ones with numbers on them. <laughs> you know, the people I hung around with, we didn't want numbers on anything we carried. <laughs> the journey's been great. I, uh, I, I never tried to swing anybody to turn the corner and become an agnostic like all the people have tried to get me to turn the corner and believe in God. I love the big book. I love the 12 and 12. And after being sober for about 10 or 15 years, I realized why Bill, I believe, put out the 12 and 12. He wanted to introduce the traditions of this fellowship to us. But I think more importantly, what he did in the 12 and 12 was he he allowed agnostics to be a part of this fellowship. You know? Somebody pointed out to me in that second step in the 12 and 12 where it says you do, and AA does not demand that you have to believe in anything. And the hoop you have to jump through is a lot bigger than it may be, may appear. You know, uh, I use AA as a power greater than myself, and that's my higher power. And it's clear to me, crystal clear, because AA has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. I never thought I never thought I was going to I wasn't imp- impressed with AA I, I I went to my first meeting I made the phone call I talked to the guy 15 minutes I told him Oh man, you don't know Ding, 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 ding So I figure After this I mean, I was in Bad shape And I told him what's going down And I'm surprised uh, He didn't say You better go to jail or Whatever <laughs> But I went to He say, he says You want someone to pick you up You know And I got the phone and I said, oh, yeah, just what I want, A A8 to know where I live, you know. <laughs> and uh, I said, no, I, I, I got a call. I can get there, you know. So I went to a meeting that Saturday night. And I figured Mr. Big from the city would come out for a special case like mine. And I get there, and I look around the room, and I wasn't impressed at all what I had. Laughter. I'm looking at these people like some of them don't have jobs, some of them, uh, they're talking about divorces, and I said, what the heck is this? But I kept coming. And at the end of the night, one of the guys said, he said, you want to go to a meeting with me tomorrow night? And I thought he was gay. I said, no. I, said, no. <laughs> I went to a meeting later on and, uh, I kept coming. I kept coming. I, it took me a long time to, like my friend over here, to, to NAA to come out of the agnostic closet that we have. Um, because people who are new coming into this fellowship, I'm, and I'm very open about my being an agnostic, have to hear that it's not necessary to believe in God. Because if it was, I'm a lie, and I'm not. I don't know if anybody was at the Minneapolis uh convention and attended the uh agnostic workshop, but I did. And I've shared this story a hundred times or more over the years. The third speaker, I really loved this story. Really good. He was from the Bronx. And he had moved to Florida, and he was sober a while, well a long while at the time. But it, it, towards the closing of his thing, he 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 tells that he led a meeting in Florida, and after the meeting, he got the finger. You know the one. Aha, you better believe in God or you're going to get drunk. I think his name was Rich. So it, she said, I thought for a minute, and I had two responses to him. And my first response was, do you think I just wasted 57 years? (laughs) And his second response was the classic. He said, the last time I talked with Bill about it, he didn't seem to have a problem. And I got chills and I started crying when I heard that and I almost (laughs) still cry when I think about how how that impacted my life and my freedom to be in his fellowship as somebody may be different from and I'm not unique and I'm not different my beliefs may be different but there aren't two people in his fellowship who experience the 12 steps the same although they are the same we all have our own little takes on them and for me myself A.A. is that power greater than myself, as I said before, because it's uh, it's not for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I love sharing that story because people have to hear. You know, you don't have to bring a cross or a silver stake to stab in people like me's hearts, you know, because <laughs> because you don't agree with us. But yet the newcomer must know that you can come here if you believe in the force, <laughs> <laughs> if you believe in karma, no matter what. Kind of my proof along the way is i got to tell you about Catherine. A, a good friend of mine, Michael O'Shea, he's gone now, sober a long time. He used to sponsor a woman named Catherine. He moved to Florida and he put her on me. And I said, Catherine, I can't sponsor you because uh, men with the men, women with the women. And what happened was she was an ex-nun. So I sponsored this ex-nun for 12 years until she passed away. And there's a message there. You know, and she was sober, I think, about eight years longer than I was. But she understood this is about spirituality. Always was always will be. And I got a little story. Special one for me. Nine years ago, this girl comes into my group and she's a wreck. She's got a beret on, she's got a lumberjack shirt, and she's riding a skateboard. And she had all the attitudes in the world. And we became. We. She came in. She sat next to me, and she's confused. And said, "Just come back. Sit here next week." And she come back next week, and she come back the next week, and she come. Back, and then like after a month, she says, "You know, all these people are telling me to do all these things." I said, "Don't worry about nothing. You come back. Sit here. We're going to be fine." Her parents wanted to go to FIT in the city, Fashion Institute. She tells me I don't want to go. I said, "Don't go." <laughs> She ended up, she used to teach sailing in, in, in my town. And uh, I said, you like sailing, you like boats, do something with it. For about five months later, she goes, I'm not going to FIT. I'm going to a shipbuilding school in Maine. I said, cool. <laughs> she goes up to Maine. does uh, two years of shipbuilding school. She gets out, she's got a captain's license and an engineering, okay, all the stuff you, you got to get. And meanwhile, like I call her my AA daughter. She says I'm my AA father, and we're we're, kind of close. It's it's good stuff. It's good AA stuff. But she was in St. Martin all last year doing all this stuff with uh, chartering boats on a 108-foot sailing yacht. And uh, the boss said he wanted to sail in the Black Sea. She went across the ocean to the Black Sea. And a couple of weeks ago, I got a message from her. I'm coming to Atlanta. I'd like to hear you speak. And she flew in Wednesday from Romania. Meg, say hello. (laughs) That's what this is about. That's my A daughter. And if you mess with her, you answer to me. And I like, I have to, I shared that story probably 20 times in the last few days, and a lot of people said, I want to meet Meg, I want to meet Meg. Well, she's here, and everybody can get to say hello. And if you look at her stupid little thing over here, it says Transient Sailor. (laughs) No location, but life is good. And I'd like to thank you all, and have a great convention. I hope we enjoy ourselves as much tonight as we did last night. Thank you.
1: What a trip! Um, the only other guy I, I, I've said this in my home group before. I've talked about my higher power. My, my first big idea of it, my first original idea of it, was the Force from Star Wars, and it's uh, the only other guy I've ever heard say that. A big, a big, a big fellow from New York. Um, and why would you ever point at him with anything? <laughs> Keep that in mind when you're getting all gaudy with someone pointing at Big Mike. All right. Our next speaker is Jeff Y from Cleveland Heights, Ohio.
3: Oh my gosh! I'm going to clear the decks here, in case I start gesticulating wildly. My friends know me better than that. Hi, everybody. My name is Jeff. You are an alcoholic. Sorry, Jeff. Um, it is a distinct honor to be here, and um, I can't think of a better way to share my gratitude with you for my 30 years of sobriety. My sobriety date is April 29th, 1985. Our, our topic of we agnostics came as, a, well, it came as a first as a surprise, and then as a pleasant surprise when I received a loving invitation from our general service office. Um, it's always hard filling the bottom of the ticket. And, you know, these, these three are uh, a hard, three hard acts to follow. Um, today I'm going to share some of my own experience, uh, but I'll also refer to our conference approved literature and some of the writings of Bill and what others have shared recently on us with this subject. And I, I got to say that when I first, got this assignment, and it was one of these sort of, okay, we need an extra person, just give it to a past delegate. He's supposed to be able to talk on anything (laughs) because we know everything. I had to seriously sit down and say, okay, what do I know about this topic? And then I had to say, what do I believe about this topic? And then it finally boiled down to, what do I truly believe? I'm not going to stand up here and lie to 1,500 people. When I got to AA in 1985, I could not say that God and I were on the very best of speaking terms. My early step work was rocky at best, challenging my newly assigned sponsor, Paul. With my interpretation of step three, I asked him, how can I possibly understand God when, by definition, he is beyond our comprehension? Paul showed tremendous patience and tolerance with my keenly intellectual alcoholic mind, but he did suggest to me, emphasized by a finger in my chest, you'd better work the steps as they are written or you're going to drink. And voila, I had my first resentment in AA. (laughs) Paul probably did me a tremendous favor because he gave me a reason to keep coming back just to show that son of a bitch that I... (laughs) (laughs) All right, i got members of my home group here, to keep me honest. Um, Having made a decision while drinking to enter Catholic Seminary, I should have listened to Paul's advice to delay my plans. Stubbornly, my pride would not let me back out, and so a few months sober, um, I entered seminary. I thought this experience would fix my vague spiritual longings. That same desire for spiritual release that... Carl Jung talks about and wrote about, and the same referenced at the low point of Dr. Jelinek's chart of the progression of our alcoholic disease. I washed out of seminary after four months. I moved back home with my mom and my dad. Very angry at everything and everyone. And God, and the church, and ultimately, Myself. It's been a long road back from there. In more ways than one, AA saved me. You AAs have saved me from drinking, from anger, from resentment, from fear, from despair, bitterness, insanity, and death, all because of our unique approach to this spiritual life. to be doomed to an alcoholic death, or to live on a spiritual basis. These are not always easy alternatives to face. And this statement in Chapter 4 of our text hit home hard. The wonderful traditions of our program, which ask only a willingness to stay sober, merely a desire to stop drinking one day at a time, granted this alcoholic enough leeway to stick around long enough For the program to do its work. AA's open door policy shows the hesitant, the gun shy, agnostic minded, a portal to freedom as wide as the horizon, through which even the most recalcitrant and spiritually damaged may comfortably pass to find recovery. The long form of Tradition three acknowledges, perhaps even encourages, all forms of belief or lack thereof. Our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover. Nor ought AA membership ever depend upon money or conformity. Any two or three alcoholics get together for sobriety may call themselves an AA group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliation. Bill W. pushed this open-door policy to the utmost limits of tolerance. In a 1946 essay in the AA Grapevine, he wrote, so long as there is the slightest interest in sobriety, the most unmoral, the most antisocial, the most critical alcoholic, may gather about him a few kindred spirits (laughs) and announce to us that a new Alcoholics Anonymous group has been formed. Anti-God, anti-medicine, anti-our-recovery-program, even (laughs) anti-each-other. These rampant individuals are still an AA group if they think so. Despite a religious upbringing, or perhaps because of it, my alcoholic mind erected a wall between me and belief in any capitalized higher power. Bill claims in our basic text that about, about half of our original fellowship were of exactly that same type, who feels he is an atheist or agnostic. I was in good company at last, with drunks like me who understood how I struggled. I was struggling over the God angle. When I began to really carefully read the big book, I was surprised. Bill W. relates that Ebby suggested to him, why don't you choose your own conception of God? This must have been very radical theology among the Oxford groupers who were trying to recreate first century Christianity. (laughs) I didn't have to understand or comprehend God at all. In fact, I discovered I didn't need to settle the God question to even make a beginning. Much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach. To us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all. When, therefore, we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. This applies, too, to other spiritual expressions which you may find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. What relief and consolation those words in Chapter 4 brought me. Over the years, as I've honed my conception of a power greater than myself, I've become convinced that being agnostic or even atheist is not entirely incompatible with having a spiritual awakening. But what is spirituality? Now, there is a great question. Throw that out in your group for discussion some week and see the diversity of opinion. There will be a lot of people that will come out of the closet. Early on, an old-timer back in Toledo broke it down, to me, uh, broke it down for me in newcomer terms. The universe can be divided into the material and the spiritual. If you can see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, or touch it, it must be material. Everything else is spiritual. Probably an oversimplification, but it opened the mind of this belligerent drunk to differentiate the religious from the spiritual. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness are all we need to make a start. Working the steps with the tentative acknowledgement of some power other than my own, self-will leveraged a willingness to be willing to believe. Thirty years later, I know that I don't need religious faith because I have firsthand experience. I see others getting and staying sober around me, and I know that I can do the same it works it really does just for today it's not that i don't know what i believe rather i believe that i don't know i heard an <clears throat> excuse me i heard a newcomer comment on his spiritual journey recently at my home group he said the more i define god the more i take power away from him And that sums up my approach to a power greater than myself, too. I ought not put God in a box, for that would only limit the power. Step 11 reminds us that we ask only for knowledge and power. So I'm keeping an open mind on that subject. My spiritual awakening did not come in the form of a white light mystical ecstasy, My experience has been of the educational variety, a slow dawning of the realization that it's okay to say I don't know what or who that power greater than myself is called. This is, after all, what agnostic means at its linguistic root. I do know this. AA works for the vast majority of people who really try to live by our principles. It's worked for me and countless others before me I pass on this message, our message, hopefully as undiluted as it was passed down to me. How do we build this spiritual life on a daily basis? Bill gives us clear-cut directions in his own story at the bottom of page 14. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work, and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. Surprisingly, we note that Bill didn't say through prayer and meditation. Just saying. (laughs) Through work and self-sacrifice for others. Earlier this year, the Pew Research Group released its findings that the fastest-growing choice among survey respondents to their question of religion is none. And I'd like to quote very briefly from the study. 11% of the silent generation, that is, that of AA's founders, 11% of that generation were nuns, while 17% of baby boomers 23% of Gen Xers and 35% of Millennials don't buy in to AA's assertion that God could and would if he were sought. Free thinking, agnostic, and atheist AA members are now saying to their theistic fellows, we once thought like you too. past chair of the AA General Service Board had this to say recently on the subject. Many in AA who are atheists, agnostics, and freethinkers feel excluded. Much of the language in the big book and in other approved literature and in meetings is traditional theistic language. Certain parts of AA literature are at best condescending towards atheists and agnostics, if not downright disparaging. Yet, these intrepid AAs are getting and staying sober and growing spiritually. However, one might define that. He continues, The power of AA is greater than any individual person. It makes the impossible possible. Many in AA refer to this life-saving force, this culture, this esprit de corps, this higher power as God. Others who cannot bring themselves to compromise their rational understandings to believe in some sort of deity still experience this power within AA groups. I would suggest that the differences between those who wish to call it God and those who have a different understanding of its nature are small in comparison to our shared experience. What we believe about something is far less important to living than what we experience. Experience is what transforms us. Belief is our attempt to explain. Experience, therefore, trumps explanation. Now I don't come here today to beat the drum for a separate agnostic atheist or free-thinking AA. Rather, I recognize that this brings us a new challenge in AA. Just as many groups now somewhat tolerate drug talk, can we now find the same tolerance for our free-thinking brothers and sisters? Can we, in fact, rise beyond tolerance to a loving acceptance? rather than mere grudging resignation. Recently departed historian Ernie Kurtz left us this message. Whenever, wherever, one alcoholic meets another alcoholic and sees in that person, first and foremost, not that he or she is male or female or black or white or Christian, Buddhist, Jew or atheist or gay or straight or whatever, but sees that he or she is alcoholic. And that, therefore, both of them need each other. There will continue to be not only an Alcoholics Anonymous, but there will be the Alcoholics Anonymous that you and I love so much and respect so deeply. Finally, I'll close with what Bill Wilson wrote in the the, uh, July 1965 grapevine. Newcomers are approaching AA at the rate of tens of thousands yearly. They represent almost every belief and attitude imaginable. We have atheists and agnostics. We have people of nearly every race, culture, and religion. In AA, we are supposed to be bound together in the kinship of a common suffering. Consequently, the full individual liberty to practice any creed or principle or therapy, whatever, should be a first consideration for us all. Let us not therefore pressure anyone with our individual or even our collective views. Let us instead accord each other the respect and love that is due to every human being as he tries to make his way toward the light. Let us always try to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Let us remember that each alcoholic among us is a member of AA so long as he or she declares. Thank you.
1: I don't know how all this um, serious talk about God and agnosticism, et cetera, became so fun, but it's, uh, it's kind of a shame. Um, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> Those of you who are expecting something different. Um, uh, round of applause again for our speakers Diggins, Big Mike, and Jeff Y.